Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's great to see you all today. This is, I need to be a hammerhead shark, um, the way this room is laid out. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of one of those. It's, so, uh, well, yeah, Jack and Paula said they were joining us, so they'll be here in about 10 minutes. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, they're, 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 they mean it. Um, I have a little handout this morning, and hopefully I have enough, and if not, we, it's kind of the usual deal. This is church. Hopefully y'all can share. Um, at least just pretend that you share for Sunday morning, just for a little brief, uh, just a little brief period. Um, hey, no, come on, unless we're in the wrong place. I'll take it personally, Liz. Uh, go walk away. That's, that's fine. So if you'll just kind of, here, rather than you having to, there we go. And I'll, if y'all can maybe take and pass them. Yeah, hit with just this. Um, yeah, that we're just we're on this side, Adam. They're, they hopefully have them coming across. There should be. Yeah, just take one. Yeah, that's the same one. So one over here. All right. Well, it's. We'll throw in a little literature with our uh, with our study this morning. Oh yeah, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Good. How are you? It's just going to be really disruptive and keep walking by you. That's all right. I'm uh, I'm scattered anyway, Beth. It'll give me it'll give me an excuse. I'm like, well, it's Beth. I was on track, and then um, well, listen. As usual, it's it's awesome to see y'all. Um, Sunday's great, but it's also always a little bit of a a little bit of a race uh, as well in between the services and to have time to reflect this morning. I will pray and we'll launch in. Well, let me pray and then come on in, y'all. Yeah, exactly. That's no problem. We've been chatting. Um, well, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for the blessing of this day and this opportunity to gather in your name, and uh, as always, although we often live our lives as we don't, we recognize our need of you, and we ask that you would be in the midst of us. And, and Lord, um, I pray that uh, in teaching this day, that ultimately, by the presence of your Spirit, that your word would go forth at this time, and that we would ultimately hear from you, uh, and that your word of life would be knit uh, deep into our hearts and our minds as we reflect this day, and that it would shape and fashion your life and your salvation in us, we ask. In the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So, um, Jack, Pete, did y'all get one? Stanford? Awesome. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm trying to remember the... So here's what we're going to do the next few Sundays. And, and obviously, we won't, um, we won't fathom all the depths of Genesis, and we won't cover anything... And, and it's not just because the short amount of time we have devoted, it's also my significant limitations as well. Um, but we will begin to uh, begin to open uh, some of this up. And, and what I really hope to do today is to, is to plant some seeds for your reflection. Uh, that's, that's what I really want to do is to plant some seeds for your reflection now and, and going forward. And one of the things I'll... One of the I I love Genesis and it's been a while um, since I've spent any 
any time in, in Genesis. But I guess what I love about it and what I hope for us to explore, what, what I hope it will really speak to you, is that um, Genesis, I mean, the people in Genesis, in many ways, they're a mess. Um, if you really, if you if you read through Genesis, I mean, it's not, you think about, you know, these are the people of God. Um, so they must be, they must be really, really good folks um, and, and well-behaved um, and, and holy and, and God must be always immediately evident in their lives. And if you read through Genesis, I mean, as I say, uh, it's it's a it's a it's encouraging, uh, I guess. So what I hope to some degree at the end of all this, it'll be encouraging to average Joes like you and me, um, people who who want to be faithful, um, who want to know God, who want to love God, who want to live in a relationship um, with God. And yet um, we, we find ourselves um, often very bound uh, and we often find ourselves falling very short Fulfilling and embodying those words of Paul, I, I don't do the things I want to do, and I find myself doing the things I, I don't want to do. Wretched man that I am, and of course, wretched woman that I am, who will save me um, from this body of death? And then Paul goes on, of course, to sing a song of praise uh, about Jesus, but but about um, the, the plan of God, the purpose of God, the grace of God, the salvation of God, moving through the lives of, of a very messy humanity. But also, uh, I think it's really important... It gives us a necessary framework. Genesis uh, is going to give us some great framework, and I'm not saying that you don't have it now, but it's going to give us some great framework um, to, to help us in our lives, to help us um, understand the human condition, um, to help us understand um, ourselves, to live as hopeful people in the midst of relationships in a world which often doesn't seem very hopeful, um, to, to give us some perspective and to give us some hope in the midst of, of all of this. I'll share, as we start, a little brief story. I went yesterday to an ordination. Um, some of you all may know John and Linda Kennedy are parishioners uh, here, and their son Trey, some of you may know their son Trey, was ordained to the priesthood yesterday down in Greensboro, Alabama. And uh, so, um, and some of y'all may remember Heidi Kenner, uh, one of the former clergy here, is now out of Montana. We rode down there together, and it was a great time to spend with Heidi and to go to Trey's ordination. And not surprisingly, um, made me think of my own ordination, um, not, uh, 19, 1995, December 16th, 1995, was when I was ordained um, to the priesthood. So, you know, inevitably, you're seeing Trey, and you're thinking back to your own Time and at the end of the service, he gave the final blessing, and I'm sure he's excited um, to celebrate communion for the first time uh, this morning. And I remember my first Sunday after my ordination to the priesthood. Um, it was um, it was uh, my opportunity, and and you know, of course, I was a very humble man, but I wanted to be the best celebrant ever. Um, I just really wanted it. I mean, I wanted it to be great, um, and only because I love God um, that I wanted it to be great. It had nothing to do with me. Um, but I wanted it to be great. And I remember at the 7.30 service, this is at the cathedral in Charleston, came time to prepare the table, uh, and I put the bread on the table, and I'm uh, getting ready to put the wine on. And I only had one cruet, so I'm like, yeah, no biggie. It's just wine, no water this morning. Well, it was water uh, and the cruet and no wine. And I said, look, I'm, I'm really honored by your confidence in me, uh, but I, I'm going to have to, I'll be back in just a moment. If you remember Jesus' first miracle in John's gospel as he began his public ministry, was turning water into wine. So sort of God's sense of humor, just saying, all right, you know, remember, Craig. Um, yeah, exactly. Remember how you rate uh, here, a little perspective. So that was, you know, it wasn't the perfect celebration at 730. And it was, you know, it's kind of awkward because, 
it was in this little side chapel, and the sacristy was all the way over here. And so, you know, hardwood floor, so there's me, you know, click, 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 having to walk over while everyone waits and bring wine back. But at the, at the 10 o'clock, it was going to be better. The dean had set the table, and it came time for the fraction. You know, we hold up the, the larger host, and we, and we break it. Um, and it came time for the fraction, and I, I couldn't find that the larger host um, anywhere. I couldn't see it. And so, so I bowed very reverently, and I was looking for it on the table, and I couldn't, <laughs> and I couldn't find it, and I came up. And then I genuflected. So then I went down thinking maybe I'd knocked it off um, at some point, And I came up again and still no luck. I, I bow reverently again and I see it poking out from underneath all the other bread. And I pull it out and I break it. And at the end of the service, this woman came up to me and says, that was, that was a really holy moment. Um, <laughs> thank you. You know, thank you for that. Um, and so it was you know, one of those. And I, you know. Exactly. It's like, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. And so, I, you know, it's funny. I share all that because, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it was a holy moment. And, and that's, I guess, what I hope for some of us to see as we as we walk through Genesis. It, it was a it was a holy moment. I mean, it was a really we were gathered together as the community of faith to share in uh, in Jesus, uh, the body and blood of Jesus, our, our salvation that comes by God's grace. And so it was in many ways. Um, a very holy moment, and yet it was fraught with with human failure uh, and and human shortcoming and imperfection in the midst of all of that. And so that's a theme in Genesis. Uh, it's a theme in the Bible. It's a theme in in yours and my lives as well. Uh, the the holiness of God and the grace of God and the purposes of God working in the midst of frail uh, and flawed. Uh, frail and flawed people. Uh, and so we're going to look this morning at, at Noah. Uh, and of course, that's one of those great, you know, one of those great, uh, Sunday school stories, you know, Noah's Ark and the animals. And, uh, and of course, like so many Sunday school stories, we, um, you know, we make them kind of lovely. Uh, and there's a lot that we don't necessarily look at. But as we look at the story of, of Noah, one of the things, and again, this is one of the things I, I, I want to invite um, your ongoing reflection on. I may, I'm not going to solve everything for you today, but I want to give you some food for thought. And, and basically, in, in Noah and in the account of the flood, um, how do we reconcile a God who's a God of love, but also a God who's a God of judgment? Uh, how do we how do we sort of deal with and reconcile love and, and judgment, um, grace and uh, vengeance, uh, all of these things? Because, you know, particularly uh, in our society today, um, and I'll quote Paula uh, on that one, in our society today, um, like all of us, uh, Paula, yeah, y'all are probably writing a lot of papers uh, these days, but you remember how it's always kind of hard to start a paper, you know, once you're trying to find the icebreaker? And Paula would joke about how in college she would begin all of her papers um, in our society today. Um, so that was the icebreaker. So as I say, we're quoting Paula. So in our society today, that you know that that's that's a big that's kind of, it's a great it's, it's really it's it's actually brilliant just to say all right we're gonna just throw that it's a great place to start and now we're in and um, I've stolen that I've used that um, uh, from her um, over the years. But you know in our society today, yeah, it's a big thing to talk about. You know well. Um, you know, God is God is a God of love. Uh, God is a God is a God's a God of love, uh, and God is is love, and that's that's you know that that that's it. And 
what I'm going to invite you along with me to think about this morning is, um, you know, if if God is a God of love, is there is judgment, is is um, vengeance, uh, is is wrath, is that is that part of His character? Uh, because it seems to be that in the Bible we we come across it, and not just in Genesis. It's not just like God was a crank in the Old Testament, but Jesus is sweet, um, and He only says nice things. Because if you read through Jesus, you're like, you know. There's some stuff that Jesus says that makes me uncomfortable. Um, and uh, and so to invite you along with me to wrestle with this, and, and basically part of what I'm going to say this morning, because I wrestle with this, it's not just those people out there, it's it's me as well. It's not like I'm, you know, Johnny Pastor and I'm good with all of this. And I just, everything I read, I'm just like, that's awesome. Uh, I love that. Um, I mean, I, 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 I wrestle with this as well. So I invite you to wrestle um, with this as well. But what I, I guess part of what I want to share with you this day is this, is that God is phenomenally gracious and kind. Uh, God is, is loving. God is working for redemption and salvation. Uh, and as part of that, he is also necessarily a God of judgment, um, that, that, that he is. To be a God who is just, um, to be a God who is loving, to be a God who is gracious, to be a God who is a saving, rescuing, restoring God, um, he's also a God of judgment, even though that's challenging for you and for me often um, to think about that. And part of what I hope to show as we reflect this morning as well is that um, one of the things that we hear is this is something um, which even pains God as well. Um, and so, but before we jump into Noah, I'm going to say just a, a kind of a couple of very brief words of, of what's been going on in Genesis leading up to this. And you may you may well remember this, um, but we'll we'll say just a couple things. I mean, obviously, we begin with, as you might guess, we begin with creation. Um, uh, we begin with with, and this is part of the whole necessary perspective. We we begin with creation. If you remember, as we as it talks about creation, God would create something. He would say that it, that it was good. Um, God would would say that it that it's good. And what I'd like to say about that is actually a. a a point of, of significance. I mean, when you and I say something's good, it's like, eh, you know, whatever. How was how was dinner? It was good. Um, you know, how was your weekend? It was it was good. You know, how are you doing with so and so? Good. Um, and it's you know, it, it's that's that's a little. I mean, it's true and it's accurate, but it's a little limp as well. But when when God says something was good, it's a word of benediction. Um, when when God says something is good, that's that 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 takes it to another level. That's that's a pronouncement of, of truth. Uh, in, in God's eyes. When God said it was good, that's his word of blessing. And that's his word of, of benediction uh, on something. And so we have creation and we have the creation. Uh, we're created male and female within the image of God. And God pronounced that as, as good. Um, so his benediction um, on on you and me. And so we we, we believe that and we talk about, you know, seeing others through the eyes of Christ and that we're people who are made in the image of God and the necessity to respect one another and to look upon one another as people of value, as people worthy of our love and our honor and our respect and our appreciation and, uh, and so forth and, and so on. Um, but we have, you know, God's pronouncement as benediction. And yet, of course, we also have the fall, our rebellion uh, our rebellion against God, and and I think, and you're what, with anything I'm saying this morning, you're welcome to disagree with me, um, but, but I think 
I mean, obviously, there are plenty of people who would say that's that's stupid. Um, but if you ask me, I would say the fall is one of those things that's really easy to argue. Um, I mean, good grief. Just spend a little time with yourself. Um, you don't even have to spend any time with anybody else. Just spend a little time with yourself and say, you know what? I think the fall is a real doctrine. Um, I think that has traction um, and, and things aren't right um, in the world and things are not as it should be. And, there, and there's a lot of violence uh, that's out there. And it's and again, it's not just in those people. It's it's in you and me. And it's not just physical violence. It's emotional um, violence. It's cultural um, violence. It's it's so many forms of it that are uh, out there in the world that are also present in, in yours and my life. And, and yet um, we have uh, a promise and we have uh, we have a hope. But there is the presence of this. And so I passed out and I'll, I'll be kind of short with this, maybe um, this little paper I, I passed out to you because I think this is this is something I want to invite your reflection on both this morning and as we go forward. Anybody ever read any Marilyn Robinson? Um, uh, shame on you. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, there's a bazillion good books I haven't read. I'm being facetious a little bit. Um, she's a, she's a great, she's a, she's a great author and, uh, has written uh, a number of, of books. And this is, uh, this is from one, this is like the advertising, um, Gilead. Uh, and as you can see, winner of the Pulitzer Prize, she wrote a, a novel um, called Housekeeping. And I think it was like, 22 years later or something that she wrote um, Gilead. And then she wrote another book called Home. Uh, another one, Lila, has written numerous books. Uh, an incredibly gifted author. But uh, the long and the short, just a little background, and you can, you know, pretend you're interested or, or not uh, about Gilead. But it's a great, it's a great book, and it's, um, it's a father um, who is who was uh, sort of surprisingly, he was married and his wife died in childbirth and, and their, uh, their daughter shortly thereafter. And he spent a lot of, a lot of his life alone. Uh, he's, uh, he's a minister in Ames, Iowa, uh, in the, in the story. He's a Congregationalist minister. And he spent a lot of his life alone. And then kind of surprisingly out of the blue on the day of Pentecost, this uh, younger woman shows up there, um, in the congregation, this sort of mysterious woman and, um, they end up getting married and they have a young son and he's dying. Uh, he's dying of heart failure. Uh, and so this is uh, a letter that he's, this, the book is sort of an extended letter that he's writing to his son because he won't get to grow up with his, his son and he wants to impart his, his love and his, and his, and his faith and, you know, memories and experiences as much as possible since he won't be there with his son as his son grows up. So it's really, uh, it's really a touching, uh, it's really, it's, it's not, um, it's not sappy in any way. It's, it's a very touching, uh, book. But anyway, in this part that I've just given to you, um, he, he says this, uh, I'll just, I'll kind of read a, well, bear with me a minute, please, if you will. This is an important thing which I've told many people, and which my father told me, and which his father told him. When you encounter another person, when you have dealings with anyone at all, it is as if a question is being put to you. So you must think, what is the Lord asking of me in this moment, in this situation? If you confront insult or antagonism, your first impulse will be to respond in kind. But if you think, as it were, this is an emissary sent from the Lord and some benefit is intended for me, 
First of all, the occasion to demonstrate my faithfulness, the chance that I to show that I do in some small degree participate in the grace that saved me, you are free to act otherwise than as circumstances would seem to dictate. You are free to act by your own lights. So basically, you know, what he's saying here is people that we encounter, the, the invitation to possibly see them as emissaries sent from God, whether to um, comfort us or annoy us or challenge us or provoke us or, or whatever it might be. Uh, but also this invitation is he's saying basically to in response to whatever interactions and encounter we have with them to act by another economy than the world's economy. Um, you know, he says if they if they insult you or uh, basically hurt you in, in some way, your initial response is going to be to respond in kind. Uh, if they slight you, you want to slight them. If they hurt you, you want to hurt them. If they insult you, you want to insult them. But the invitation to say, you know, you're free to act by your own lights. And I think what he's implying here is not your own lights, but act by God's revelation. Um, to act in response to that by God's economy. You're free at the same time of the impulse to hate or resent that person. He would probably laugh at the thought that the Lord sent him to you for your benefit and his, but that is the perfection of the disguise, his own ignorance of it. It's like Romans 12 is basically what he's saying. Look, if someone wrongs you, don't repay him in that way. Repay him with kindness, and by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on their head. That'll heap more burning coals. You're not responding in kind than if you respond in kind. And Paul says also in that, he says, and they'll be just shocked as hell um, is basically what Paul says also. He says they're, they'll be so flummoxed by that they won't quite know um, how to respond. And that's, that was, uh, that's the, you've heard of the ESV, that's kind of like, the, I don't know, the Craig Standard Version. But that's in essence what Paul is implying in that particular day. They're going to be shocked um, if, if you do that. But then he goes on to say this, and this is what I really want us to think about. I'm reminded of this precious instruction by my own great failure to live up to it recently. Calvin says somewhere that, uh, and that's not Calvin and Hobbes, John Calvin. Calvin says somewhere that each of us is an actor on a stage and God and God is the audience. That metaphor has always interested me because it makes us artists of our behavior. And the reaction of God to us might be thought of as aesthetic rather than morally judgmental in the ordinary sense. How well do we understand our role? With how much assurance do we perform it? I suppose Calvin's God was a Frenchman, just as mine is a Middle Westerner of New England extraction. Um, that going back to the fall, our, our, our desire from the beginning to create God in our own image. What's God like? Well, he's kind of a little bit like me, but better. Um, and, and generally seems to come down on my side of things. Um, that's, you know, I mean, that's, there's the, there's the whole deal of the fall. We, you know, uh, the uh, falling prey to the temptations and the lies of the enemy and the insinuations of the enemy and wanting to put ourselves in the in the place of God. Basically, all, all, I mean, really, all sin comes from that. All of our sin comes from that to put ourselves in the place of God, to be the ones who determine what's right and wrong, what's justified, what's not justified, what I deserve what I don't deserve, what's right, what's not right, who deserves what. Um, it's all, all sin basically goes back to that desire to put ourselves in, in the place of God and to be God ourselves. Well, we all bring such light to bear on these great matters as we can. And this is what I want to invite you to reflect on. 
Um, I do like Calvin's image, though, because it suggests how God might actually enjoy us. I don't know if you've thought about that. Um, I, I can't remember, you know, the last time, if 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 ever, I, I've I've thought about that. I'll read that to you again. Um, I do like Calvin's image, though, because it suggests how God might actually enjoy us. I believe we think about that far too little. It would be a way into understanding essential things, since presumably the world exists for God's enjoyment, not in any simple sense, of course, but as you enjoy the being of a child, even when he is in every way a thorn in your heart. Um, that that idea uh, of, of, of God uh, enjoying us, of God uh, taking delight in us, in, in our being, in our presence uh, in the world, and in creation, I think a lot of us, or maybe myself, tend to think about, I'm kind of scared to think about what God thinks about me, because surely he's very displeased um, with me and knows I could be doing a lot uh, a lot better than I'm doing. And while there is a truth to that, there's there's a truth in saying, you know, God created us and, and actually looked at us with, with love and actually continues um, to look at us uh, and, and, and to take delight in us. Uh, and inevitably, the, the, the parental... Analogies break down to some degree, but it is to some degree just like with a child. We we absolutely love and adore our children. Do they sometimes disappoint us or or, or frustrate us or, or sadness or madness? Of course, um, and yet we we just we we adore them, and their actual being is something that we rejoice in and we give thanks for. And this understanding of God who sees us um, in that way uh, and looks at us um, in that way, not. I say that all by way of, uh, I'm looking at the time here, I'm going to pick up a little bit, um, a God who, who looks on us, um, who looks on us lovingly, but, but here's the big thing as we, as we think about uh, the account of, of Noah and God's bringing judgment, um, on, on the earth and, uh, that God does not um, God does not do this capriciously. Um, God does not do this um, lightly. And there's some actually some very important things we're going to unpack rather quickly as we look on this, as we reflect on this. But one of the things, and, and God reveals this unmistakably, is that he has bound himself up with us. God has bound his heart up with us, just like we bind up our hearts with our children. We're, we're bound. When they're sad, we're sad. When they're rejoicing, we're Rejoicing. What what happens to them affects um, you and me. God has bound up His heart with us. He's bound up His uh, our life uh, in His life, and He uh, makes that known to us unmistakably um, in Jesus. And all this is by way of saying. So we we hear of a God who's created us, who looks on us with delight, uh, and yet things go south very quickly uh, with with the fall. Uh, and yet in the midst of that. We hear God pronounce a curse. Um, so there's a curse. There's a judgment that comes with the fall. But with that judgment, um, there's this there's this ray of light. There's this seed uh, of grace which is planted. There's this word uh, of hope and assurance which is given in the midst of all of the brokenness and mess and rebellion um, of our lives. Not just Adam and Eve, but but yours and my lives as well. And all the broken relationships that exist in our lives and all the broken relationships of which we're a part, there's a seed of hope and there's a seed of light which is placed in there. And it talks about the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. 
the seed of the serpent, the seed uh, of the woman, because God gives a word of promise that this enmity uh, that's going to exist with the seed of the woman, those who are faithful and believe in God. And, and Noah is described as one who was blameless. And Noah was described as one who walked with God. And let me say this, blameless and walking with God, when, when it's addressed here, it doesn't mean Noah was perfect. Because if you remember, Noah was tremendously faithful uh, and and building the ark when everyone else uh, around him laughed and just said, you know what, that's, that, that's ridiculous. Uh, what in the world are you doing? And not only just the scorn that would have been heaped upon him, but, you know, I, that, that, I'm just lazy. Um, so that'd be, I mean, I could, I don't know, it's like, I could believe in God, but God, I'm really lazy. Um, and you want me to build an ark? Um, and it's, that sounds like a lot of labor. Um, and, and, you know, my weeks are full. And on the weekend, um, I just want to relax a little bit. So, I mean, just he was remarkable. His faith was remarkable, not only to endure the scorn, but just to do the work, for goodness sakes, um, uh, is a big thing. And, and, and to trust in the midst of everything saying it wasn't going to come to fruition. And, of course, we hear that God does um, send this flood uh, upon the earth. And, and interestingly, um, if you if you go... Um, to the, uh, if you go to the Hebrew, if you go to the uh, original words, uh, we, we hear about how God is going to bring um, this judgment. And uh, we're, we're told this, and this is uh, in Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only continually evil. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him um, to his heart. I've kind of talked about that, but I want to make note of that again. We, you know, we hear God's not, he's just not some big crank. This isn't capricious. We hear that this is grieving God um, to his heart. God has invested um, in us. He's created us. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But here's what I want to, we go on. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way um, on the earth. But it goes on and it talks about, um, in, in God's judgment, what we see is that, uh, and if you go to the to the Hebrew what it says is, um, God destroyed the people who had already destroyed themselves. Uh, that, that God destroyed the people who had already um, destroyed um, themselves. God, in essence, sort of brought to completion that which had begun. But a couple of things I want to say very quickly. We hear about Noah being a man who walked with God, who was holy, who was righteous, who was blameless. Well, if you remember, when the ark lands on dry ground, uh, Noah immediately... Uh, offers a burnt offering to the Lord, and we hear that God found um, the aroma of the offering pleasing. God was pleased by Noah's offering of atonement uh, that was made. Shortly thereafter, Noah gets drunk and naked and basically wrecks his family. Um, so here's this man who is holy, who is righteous, who is blameless, and the next thing we know, uh, Noah is, is passed out naked um, in, in, in his tent. Here is this, you know, I mean, the, there it is. I mean, I'm not making this up. Um, you can read it for yourself. This is this is what. So again, the word of the word of hope to you and to me. You're thinking, you know what? If I'm going to be a person of God, I've got to be. I can't make mistakes. Uh, and I'm not making light of 
of, of, of Noah's imperfection. And in fact, um, the curse that falls upon his, his son, Japheth, as a result, um, was because of his uh, mocking his father, um, was his, uh, you know, mocking and, and, and denigrating and celebrating in the failure of, of his father. It was that, uh, that sort of presence of the continued um, hardness, uh, hardness of heart. But two things. Uh, bless you. It's been kind of a, you know, maybe I'll slow down next week. I mean, there's just so much good stuff to cover. So, um, and we'll kind of continue on in the weeks to come. We'll look at, we'll look at Abraham. We'll look, uh, Jacob and, and Esau and Joseph. And I mean, I don't, there's any number. I mean, you know, Isaac, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot to cover and we've raced a little bit today. But here's a couple of things that I want to make, um, note of before we go. Very important. We have in the midst of all this a God who who loves us uh, and takes delight in us, and yet um, we are the the seed of the woman. This this faithful line that continues uh, is God's seed, not because of their perfection, but because of their faith in Him. That's that is their continuation. The seed of the serpent are those who reject God uh, outright uh, and completely reject the salvation of God, the mercy of God, the necessity of God. The seeds of the woman aren't the perfect people, but they're the people who recognize their need of God and put their faith and their uh, and their trust in him. And I'll flesh this out a little bit next week, but I'm going to say this before we go today about why we need a God of, of why we need a God of, of judgment. Because here's the thing, the reason we react a little bit to it, I think, is this. is one, the realization that judgment has every right to fall on us as well. So when we hear about God judging, I think it's understandably hard for you and for me because we think, you know, um, gosh, why did God judge those people in that particular time and place, and why hasn't that same thing fallen on me because it has every right to fall on me just as much as it does on them. So there's, to some degree, that right intention of our heart to recognize the fact that it could readily and rightly um, fall upon you and me as well. But here's the challenge. If, if God is not a God of justice, uh, if God is not a God of, of vengeance, who does that lead to be just? Who does that lead to bring vengeance? It leaves you and me uh, in that position. And, and what a frightening thought, because one of the things for you and I, while we often wrestle, is because we know we don't know. I don't have wisdom enough. Um, I don't have holiness uh, enough. I don't have truth enough to be the one who avenges, the one um, who, the one who brings um, justice. Uh, I need, uh, I need God, uh, I need God to do that. And I, I'll share this more next time. There's a great quote by Miroslav Volf, uh, and he is one who's from the Balkans, and uh, he's from Croatia, and has experienced horrors, you know, the, the horrors of, of genocide. And he basically uh, he says this, and I'm, uh, I'm looking for it here. Um, he says this, Violence thrives secretly, nourished by belief in a God who refuses to wield the sword. Um, basically saying, you know, the folks who say God is a God of love, God is a God of love, he couldn't be vengeance, he couldn't. He says, you know, those people, they've, they've never seen their loved ones murdered. Uh, they've never seen their loved ones' throats slipped. They've never seen their loved ones raped. They've never seen their loved ones um, and their homes burned to the ground. He says, because we, it, when you see and experience that, he said, you're, you're going to want to go to the sword. 
um, you're understandably and rightly you're going to want to go to the sword and you're going to you're going to want to respond. He says the only way you cannot pick up the sword is if you believe that ultimately that God Himself will pick up the sword, um, that He Himself actually knows uh, and has wisdom um, to respond, and that in fact He has and He will. Act. The only way you can begin to not respond in kind is if you believe in a God who is both loving, but also a God who who brings who will ultimately will bring justice, um, who ultimately will address. Because if He's not a God of justice, then it just goes on uh, unchecked, and it's up to you and me um, to be the ones who save the world. It's up to you and me to be the ones um, who set things right. And what a horrifying um, perspective that is. Lastly, this um, in the flood and. Not sufficient time to fully deal this, but but a, but a thought for you to take away with you is that one of the things that we see in the flood is, of course, new creation. God bringing about new creation. The the, the things were broken and and violent um, to the point that God had to step in and wash it away and bring new creation. But of course, we see that as Noah came out of the ark, he still brought sin with him. Um, God had brought about a new beginning. He had brought about a new creation, but yet. Human nature was still there uh, with them. But there is phenomenal foreshadowing in in the flood and that ark of salvation. And, of course, it points to Jesus. Uh, And because the cross is, first and foremost, it's a judgment. Uh, The the cross is a judgment on the sins and the violence of the world and the sins and the violence in yours and my heart as well and all the brokenness that exists. But through the judgment um, of the cross, through judgment comes salvation uh, and the grace of God and the restoration of God. We get in Jesus. Uh, we get in the cross like Noah and the others got in the ark. Uh, and it took them across um, to a place of new creation, to a place of salvation. But we have in the cross, is it done in a way which is final um, and which uh, is never to be repeated because it is once and for all sufficient for the sins of the world. There's more I'd like to say, but we're, as the show, Saved by the Bell. Um, so let me offer a prayer, and we'll go forth. Heavenly Father, for this time, we give you thanks and praise. Um, uh, enable us to reflect, Lord, on how uh, you are gracious and merciful, but also a God who's just and who judges, uh, and that ultimately uh, you will bring things to right, and that we can trust in you, lean on you, uh, and find a joy in the salvation which is made available to us as uh, those not who are righteous through our own merits, but righteous through what you've done for us in the cross of Jesus. And these things we ask and pray in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.